This evening, congregation, in your Bible, we would encourage you to open to the book of Malachi. We'll be reading the fourth chapter in its entirety and then focusing especially upon the first three verses. You can find that in your pew Bible on page 1107. You'll notice that we are breaking from our series that we had begun some time ago throughout the prophecy. But what we've come to is the last Sabbath of the year, and I've made it a practice over the course of my ministry in the last Sabbath of the year in the evening service uh, to consider a portion of Scripture uh, that confronts us with the reality that time is fleeting. Uh, This is not meant to, so to speak, uh, steal the New Year's Eve service theme, uh, but rather we find it fitting to be reminded as those who are travelers throughout time, as those who are hastening into the realm of the eternal, whether that be through our own physical death, and we know not the day nor the hour, or whether that be with the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, also of which we do not know the day nor the hour. Uh, we find it, hopefully, a, a beneficial time to focus upon the fleeting nature of life and the certainty uh, of the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we read from Malachi 4 as follows, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we indicated in the introduction before the reading of Scripture, underneath the providence of God this evening, we come to the last Sunday of the year of our Lord, 2021. 104 times, unless I have omitted a service that was canceled here because of perhaps a weather-related incident, 104 times on a Sunday morning and a Sunday evening, God has addressed you as His people through the preaching of His Word. Uh, You take 104 and you multiply that as the decades continue to unfold in their lives. Uh, And many, many a time we have heard the Gospel preaching. And, And perhaps we've heard so much Gospel preaching that we become accustomed to not only the Gospel preaching, but also the message that is preached in the Gospel preaching. Uh, Tonight, it is my intention, not with any superficial uh, tricks or strategies. It's not my intention to just try to create some type of emotional uh, era in which we can somehow impress you. But my intention is to set forth very clearly, very simply, also very pointedly, a message that I believe that I need to hear. And a message that I believe you as a congregation, whether you are young or whether you are old, also need to hear. And that message could be summarized uh, with this simple statement. You and I must never forget that the day of the Lord is approaching. You see, the days of our lives, they unfold with a certain routine element about them. 
by and large, although there are some variance and some differences, most of our Mondays perhaps look very similar to the Mondays that are gone past. And most of our Wednesdays also have a certain routine about them. Maybe even even in your life, you have a routine on Mondays. It's this, and on Tuesdays it's that, and on Fridays you go here, and on Saturdays you do this. And in the midst of all of the experience of that routine, and maybe even you might say the mundaneness of everyday life, it's easy to forget that all of those days are hastening past and we are heading to eternity. Eternity, that element of existence that supersedes time. We are travelers on the moving pathway of human history. And the time and the days and the years swiftly speed on. And, and we know that certainly the future comes in at 60 seconds a minute. And that's not an original thought with me, nor an original quote with me. Uh, but is it not true, and if you reflect, those of us who are older, when you think about your childhood, is it not true that time now, at least as far as our experience goes, passes much faster? Remember when you were a schoolboy or a schoolgirl, the summer seemed to go on forever. And the school year, well, that was the closest experience that we had to eternity because that seemed to go on indefinitely. And now as we are in the middle years or maybe in the twilight years of our life, those of us who still use paper calendars, it doesn't seem like you can hardly flip the pages fast enough. January quickly gives way to February and one event follows another event. And whereas when we were children, to say, well, Christmas is three months away or two months away, it seemed an agonizing long period of time until you actually got there. And now we can't hardly keep up when we're in our 30s or perhaps 50s or perhaps 70s. I never rightly understood it when I was younger when an elderly person would say, time goes faster the older you get. But now I think I'm beginning to understand something of what they were trying to say. Time does seem to go by faster. And yet it's difficult to maintain an awareness that time is fleeting. It's difficult to maintain an awareness that time is fleeting for each of us personally and that soon, and that doesn't mean that we have a pessimistic view of life, soon may be in a week or in a month or in a year or in a decade or in a couple of decades, but soon our life, our time that is allotted to us here on this earth will come to an end. And we are reminded about that truth by the death of our fellow congregants. We are reminded about that truth by uh, the illnesses that can come upon us and the medical diagnoses that can come up out of seemingly nowhere. Whereas one day we live hardly with a thought for what the future holds, suddenly the call of the doctor or the trip to the emergency room confronts us with the inescapable reality that time is fleeting. And that life, even if it may be to the years of the very strong, is brief and it is but a vapor. And so we do well to be reminded of what we've made our theme for this evening, the prophecy of the coming day of the Lord. As we look at this prophecy, we want to notice three, and I believe they are simple truths, about the coming day of the Lord. First of all, that the day of the Lord is an approaching day. Secondly, that the day of the Lord is a horrible day. And then thirdly, that the day of the Lord is a glorious day. So the day of the Lord, that is, and we'll unfold this, we trust a little bit more specifically, the day in which the Lord Jesus Christ returns. That day is a approaching day. That day will be a most horrible day for some. 
And that day will be a most glorious day for others. And as we make our way through this sermon, we would just simply encourage you uh, to do a fact check in a Berean style. And with open Bibles and with open hearts, simply ask as we make our way through the subpoints, is this what the Bible really reveals? We believe that it is. First of all, then, that the day of the Lord is an approaching day. You'll notice that verse 1 of Malachi 4, the prophetic oracle says, for behold, and that word behold, it, it does not just simply mean notice with passing curiosity. Like you might drive by, uh, and, and maybe in the, the fall, uh, and, and it was interesting for me to, to watch the, the harvest out in the agricultural realms here in the community of Pella. And you might notice, oh, so-and-so, he's opening up that field. He's taking in the beans or the corn. And you might notice, and my wife can testify as I drive, and sometimes it's a dangerous experience for individuals in the vehicle as I observe passing the farm equipment in the field. But the word here is something much more significant. Not just simply notice with passing curiosity, but perceive and recognize and understand. Spiritually understand. The day is coming. Well, what day? Well, it goes on to describe it in various ways, but we simply put it this way, the day of the Lord. Now, we're dealing, of course, with an Old Testament prophet by the Old Testament, uh, that era before the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the Old Testament prophets received revelation from God, an analogy that we often think of is that the Old Testament prophets, they climbed up into the watchtowers of hope and they scanned the redemptive horizon to see what the Lord was going to do. And they saw a coming day of the Lord. Now, maybe you've had the experience of driving to a mountain range and from a distance you look at the mountain range and you, you see one mountain, but then as you get closer you see that there are individual mountains. Now, that's something of what the Old Testament prophets saw. They looked forward in their watchtowers of hope, and they saw that God was going to do a remarkable work in human history in the accomplishment of redemption. And they spoke of that as the coming day of the Lord. Now as history continued to unfold, we recognize from the New Testament perspective that the coming day of the Lord included the initial coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in His incarnation, but it also includes the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, what we often call the consummation. And these two points, although they are distinguished one from another, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ is not His return to judge the living and the dead. They are distinguished, but they are never divorced or separated from each other. And so even when we come to the Christmas season, even when we consider the Incarnation, we must be carried forward and consider also the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because His first coming demands His second coming. The first coming begins His work in human history. The second coming concludes His work in human history. And so this day of the Lord, speaking more specifically in our context to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and boys and girls and young people, as well as those of us who are older, hopefully we understand from the catechism instruction and our parents' instruction and the instruction we have received in Christian education, the steps of humiliation, but also then the steps of exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the steps of exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ culminate, and that's why we 
confess this also with the Apostles' Creed. We say that we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again to judge the living and the dead. And that is the coming day of the Lord. And according to Scripture, as revealed in a variety of passages, you can think of uh, the correspondence that Paul had to Thessalonians. You can think uh, of the uh, discourses that the Lord Jesus Christ has in Matthew 24 and 25 and all sorts of other scriptural passages. We can simply state that the return of the Lord Jesus Christ will be a physical return of the person of Jesus Christ with His united natures, both His divine nature, but also His human nature, as that human nature has been risen and raised from the grave and has been transformed. That very same person. And this is what the apostles were told as they stood gazing up into heaven in Acts 1, as the angel comes to them and says, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This very same Jesus will come. So as the Christian church and as Christian individuals, we believe that there will be a physical return, a personal return, and a glorious return. Every eye will see the Lord Jesus Christ as He comes forth surrounded by the entourage of angelic beings. And as the trump sounds and summons all creation to recognize that the Lord has returned. In His first coming, you might say Jesus Christ came very quietly. There was no room for Him in the inn of a seemingly insignificant town in Bethlehem. Uh, No visitors were there to greet Him with the exception uh, of a few social outcasts of shepherds. But in His second return, human history will be interrupted, you might say. Everyone will be stopped. The resurrection of the dead will take place in every single eye of every single human being will behold the Son of God as He makes His physical, visible, glorious return to judge the living and the dead. Because that will be the great event that takes place when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And Jesus Christ spoke so often of this, it's really a marvel that the broad evangelical church misses this emphasis because you can just pick one example in that from Matthew 25, verse 31 through 33 and verse 46. And Jesus Himself says, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats, and he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. And these, that is the goats, those on the left hand, those who are unbelievers, those who do not acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ here in this life, and these, the goats, will go away into everlasting punishment. But the righteous, that is the sheep, that is those who bent the knee of faith and repentance to the Lord Jesus Christ, they will enter into eternal life. And so congregation, make no mistake about it. The day of the Lord is a day of separation. Of final separation. And and, and now sociologists, they study the human race and we have all sorts of different demographics 
We put them perhaps in age or perhaps in gender, even though that's massively confused in our day and our age. And now we have created this whole way of talking about different points of intersectionality and all of that perhaps can be studied. But no, at the coming day of the Lord, there will be two groups of people. There will be those who are righteous in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there will be those who are unrighteous apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now many deny that this coming day of the Lord is indeed coming. Even though Scripture speaks so plainly about it, many deny it. And I can't help but feel sorry, but also laugh a bit at what was known as the higher criticism of German liberalism, of theological liberalism. Those who believed that they were the bright and shining lights in the 1800s as the 19th century drew to a close. Those who believed that they had now come to a new discovery of truth and that all of the old reformational theology must be done away with. And these individuals paraded themselves around and one of the things that they denied was the physical bodily return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they spoke about a return of Jesus Christ, but in some type of humanistic utopia. Uh, But this is exactly what is prophesied and what is predicted already in the days of Malachi. If you look back one chapter, Malachi 3, verse 14 and verse 15, you have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept His ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed and those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. You can think perhaps more pointedly of what Peter says in 2 Peter 3, verse 3 and 4 when he says scoffers will come in the last days. Scoffers mean those who mock, those who ridicule, those who laugh and make no mistake about it. Also young people, as you go off and as you study in secular universities, you are going to meet people who are going to laugh and who are going to mock and who are going to ridicule you if you speak about a physical glorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be shocked and don't certainly be embarrassed. Peter told us this would happen in the last days in which we are currently living. Scoffers will come walking according to their own lust. There's the primary motivation to deny the physical return and the bodily resurrection and the final judgment so that unbelievers might walk according to their own lust. But they will say, where is the promise of His coming? In a similar fashion to those in the days of Noah, as Noah labored in righteousness and as he preached in righteousness, warning of the coming judgment, uh, they laughed and they mocked and they ridiculed. I suppose until the rain started. Until the waters rose. And so it will be in our generation. Men and women will mock, laugh, and ridicule until the heavens give way. And until the trump sounds, and until the angels go forth, and until Jesus Christ appears, and they see Him in all of His glory. And yet, many deny. But the denial of the approaching day of the Lord does not impact the day of the Lord. Just because mockers and scoffers say, He's not coming. That does not change the plans of Almighty God. And that certainly does not impact the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Because what does Jesus Himself say in Revelation 22? What you might consider to be the closing word from Holy Scripture. As the church cries out, Lord Jesus, come quickly. The promise, the reassuring promise from the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Behold, I am coming quickly. And so to anyone and everyone who hears these words tonight, first of all, be reminded and be assured and be convinced and know beyond any shadow of a doubt the day of the Lord that is the day of the glorious physical return of Jesus Christ to judge the living and the dead is a day that is approaching. And take it to heart. We make no predictions because that would be absolute foolishness and an unbiblical action. We make no predictions about when the exact day of the Lord's return is. But we can say this, tonight we are closer to that day than we were one year ago. Notice Psalm 90, verse 10 through 12. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength there are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off, and we fly away. The day of the Lord is an approaching day, but then in our second point, The day of the Lord is a horrible day. Horrible in the true sense of the word. Horrible with a certain weightiness. A certain solemnity. But also with a certain horror. Two things we want to make absolutely clear tonight. We do not enjoy speaking about these things. You know, there is that characterization uh, of a minister, so to speak, foaming at the mouth, pounding the pulpit with his fist, shouting into the amplifying speaking system, rather enjoying rallying against the congregation about the judgment that is to come. Now, that's not what we are doing tonight. But faithfulness to the testimony of Scripture, and especially to the text before us, it speaks about a coming day that is burning like an oven. And we, out of pastoral love. And we don't know the condition of the hearts of people who hear these words. Whether it be in this congregation, in this physical sanctuary, or whether it be through the radio waves, or whether it be through the internet, whether it be today, or whether it be next week, or whether it be a year from now. And so we need to strive to be faithful to the text, and we need to state that the coming day of the Lord will be a horrible day. But then we also want to be very clear that it will be a horrible day for those who are apart or outside of Jesus Christ. Those who are rebellious and hard-hearted. Those who do not walk in faith. And you'll notice that that's exactly what Malachi says. Burning like an oven. And all the proud. Yes, all who do wickedly. Not just those who sin, because all of us sin. Rather, to do wickedly means to walk in a perverse lifestyle, in a habitually perverse lifestyle, in a perverse lifestyle uh, that rejects the moral obligation of the commandments of God, that does so with a certain proud and arrogant defiance. And so you'll notice if you look at the two words that are used to describe those persons for who the coming day of the Lord will be horrible, it is the proud, wicked. And because they're proud, they will not turn from their wickedness. Because of their pride, they will not bend the knee in repentance and faith. They will not call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. 
They, they will never beat upon their breast in the outward expression of the internal anguish that cries out, be merciful to me, the sinner. And you could think of examples of proud and wicked persons from the Bible. Perhaps you think of Pharaoh as he continually rejects the Word of God. And as he with a proud, sort of arrogant defiance and wickedness plunges his chariot uh, into the Red Sea and the waters of judgment completely surround him. He dies underneath the judgment of God with his proud wickedness. And no doubt you can think of many, many other. An example uh, from Scripture. But these individuals find themselves uh, underneath judgment because they meet the risen, glorious Christ in their proud, wicked defiance. A picture is also given for us in Revelation 19. And in many ways, the book of Revelation uh, reflects that of Malachi. Uh, there's a certain Act 1 and a certain Act 2 structure to it. So in Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16, it describes what John sees. And just bear in mind our text, Malachi, the day is coming. The day in which a furnace, and if anyone works with HVAC, and maybe if you're just a homeowner and you look at the furnace, when the furnace kicks on, uh, the, the fire begins to roar and begins to blaze. This is not just a nice little campfire that we find so delightful uh, in the late fall. This is a roaring fire pot. Or perhaps if you ever had the opportunity uh, of having a roaring fire uh, within a wood stove, and as the chimney functions and as the oxygen begins to flow, if you open up the door and you peer in, uh, the flames just leap off of the material and they even begin to go up the chimney. And you hear that sound. The sound of the roar of a hot and a burning fire. And that's exactly the reference that Malachi makes. And you see something of it also in Revelation 19, verse 11 and following, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Congregation, this is Jesus Christ in His return. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on His head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except Himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and His name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed Him on white horses. Out of His mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it He should strike the nations. And He Himself will rule them with a rod of iron, he Himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. The congregation know for certain that the coming day of the Lord will be a horrible day for the proud and the wicked. Well, how should we respond? We dare not respond with pharisaical indifference. We dare not say, well, good. Those proud, wicked persons deserve just that. Because but for the grace of God. That's exactly how we would experience the coming day of the Lord. When we think of what will take place on that day, it ought to drive us to our knees and to seek the grace of God. When you think of what is described in Matthew 13, 
Verse 41, the Son of Man will send out His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Or you can think of what is stated in Isaiah 66, verse 24, and they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against the Lord, for their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. It shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. What should our response be? I believe that our response ought to be that of what is stated in Psalm 95, verse 7 and 8. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Now, Psalm 90 is written to the church as she finds herself in the Old Testament dispensation. And Psalm 95 gives this instruction for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to you and to me, do not harden our hearts. See to it that there is not a spirit of rebellion within our hearts. But know for certain that the coming day of the Lord will be a horrible day for the wicked and for the ungodly. And and yet in our third point, and we have to hasten on to our third point, the day of the Lord will be a glorious day. A glorious day. And that is also described in Malachi chapter 4. You'll notice the contrast is introduced by that little but significant word in verse 2, but. The proud, they will be consumed as fire consumes stubble. The Lord in His coming will burn them up. Providentially, I had the opportunity, I believe two nights ago, Christmas Eve, and I don't know if it's a, if it's a thing uh, in the agricultural community, but as we were making our way home, uh, there, there was, I assume, a farmer out in the field burning the waterways, and he apparently had gathered a bunch of brush from the, the woodlot lying on his field, and he was out there with his skid loader with a grapple bucket, and he was grabbing all of this brush, and he was adding it to this massive fire that he had going, raging. I don't know if they call it the same here. We used to call it a bonfire. I'm not sure exactly how high the flames were. They must have been 20, 30 feet into the sky. I drove by today. There's nothing but ashes. Absolutely consumed. But now you know what will happen in the spring. As the earth begins to warm and as the gentle spring rains begin to fall, there will be green growth. Fresh green growth. And so yes, the fires of judgment come and they consume the wicked. And it's a horrible day for the wicked, but it will be a most glorious day for the people of God because, verse 2, but to you who fear My name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise. The Son of Righteousness. This, of course, refers to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He shall arise with His return. And with His return, all of the righteous will also arise. And when they arise, when the graves are forced, you might say, by the almighty power of the risen Christ to give up the dead, those who have fallen asleep in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have died in the faith, they will be met this day as a glorious day. Notice that they are described as those who 
fear His name in verse 2, but to you who fear My name with what theologians often call a filial fear, not a slavish fear, not the fear that a slave has towards a cruel and harsh taskmaster, but rather that filial reverence, that childlike reverence, that love and that awe and that adoration that a small child often has for their parents. Those who fear the name of the Lord Jesus Christ Uh, the Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in His wings and you will go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. It's a glorious picture. Uh, And it also is echoed, I believe, in Revelation 20, verse 1-8. through And so if you listen there, uh, in contrast to what is spoken of in Revelation 19, now the address is, for the most part, in the verse 7 verses, to those who fear the name of the Lord. And we read in Revelation 21, verse 1 and following, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. And then there is the description of what makes this day so glorious for those who fear the Son of Righteousness. God will wipe away every tear from their eye. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. Three things that cause tears to form within our eyes are death, sorrow, and pain. There will be no more. They will be completely done away with. Then He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And He said to me, Write, for these things are true and faithful. And He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God. And he shall be my son. And that congregation is the essence of what makes this coming day of the Lord so glorious. Imagine the glory of having the eternal Son of God wipe every tear dry. Imagine the glory of hearing the Lord Jesus Christ say, it is done. It is done, my son. It is done, my daughter. I will now dwell with you and you will dwell with me and I will be your God and you will be my people in a new heaven and in a new earth in which dwells only righteousness. All sin will be eliminated. All of that indwelling sin which we so long struggle with will be completely eradicated. It will be nothing and there is much about heaven and the new heaven and the new earth which I cannot tell you about. Paul saw much, but even he was not allowed to say that which he had seen when he was carried up by way of vision into the third heaven. And sometimes people will ask, well, do you think this about the new heaven? Do you think that about the new earth? And most of the time my answer has to be, I I don't know. But this I know, the new heaven and the new earth will be absolutely glorious. And the primary reason for the glory of the new heaven and the new earth is that there will be fellowship with Christ. And we will hear for all of eternity that He is the Alpha and the Omega. 
and that it is done. That all things will be made new. In congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, this will be a day of salvation and a day of victory. And that day is coming. At times, perhaps, we become too despondent. I confess that I often become too despondent. We are bombarded by the news reports and by the cries, you might say, of an anguishing human race. But tonight, people of God, be reminded the day of the Lord is fast approaching. And for all who fear the Lord, that will be a most glorious day. We can think of Ecclesiastes 8, verse 12 and 13. Uh, There Solomon writes, Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God. And so as you can reflect upon the coming day of the Lord, know that it will surely be well with those who fear the Lord. But again, to do faithfulness to the text, there is the contrast. And Ecclesiastes 8 continues, but it will not be well with the wicked. It will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days which are as a shadow, because he does not fear before God. And so the great question as we hasten through time towards eternity, and you can think of the question that the repentant thief had to the impenitent thief on the cross. And I revert back to the King James that I memorized as a child. Dost not thou fear God? That was the great contrast between those two thieves. There were a lot of points of similarity between them. They were both murderers. Both thieves. Both apparently involved in some type of political insurrectionist. They were both condemned. They were both, we might say, moments away from eternity. They were both dying a most shameful death. But one feared God. And it was well with him. The other did not fear God. And it was not well with him. So what of us tonight? May I ask you pointedly, but certainly with pastoral love, Do you fear God? The fear of faith? The fear of repentance? The fear that bows before the Lord Jesus Christ and says, have mercy on me, Son of David. Know that He is coming. And when the day of the Lord approaches, for some it will be a most horrible day. But for others, it will be a most glorious day. Amen. Our Father in Heaven, in the busyness of time, we pray that this message from the realm of the eternal might bear fruit within our hearts. We know the parable well that Jesus Christ Himself gave that a certain man went out to sow. And He scattered the seed upon the soil, but the soil was unique and different in various cases. So some seed fell and the birds of the air carried away. Other seeds fell upon the hard path of the road. And a third portion of the seed fell amidst thistles and thorns. 
Father, we pray that that might not be the condition of our heart, but that the fourth might be the condition of our heart, that the seed of Your Word might fall upon the fertile soil of a heart that is contrite, of a heart that is believing, and that it might produce a multitude of spiritual blessings within our lives. To that end, uh, we both preach and we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.